0: Hey, good morning. This is another episode of Boating Insider. We are here with Chris Whitman, co founder of Captives for Clean Water, along with Rick Klein, founder and CEO of Vessel Vanguard and Boating Insider, and then myself, Rhiannon, CRO of Vessel Vanguard. And we are going to talk about all things Captains for Clean Water and what Chris is doing to change our world for the better.
1: Good to be here, guys. Cool. So, Chris, uh, tell us about yourself. Like, tell us about the organization, after sure, this plan, how it started. And
2: yeah, I mean, I'm, Born and raised in Southwest Florida and, and growing up, my whole life revolved around the water. Um, that led to me becoming a fishing guide in, uh, 99 and had a successful career, um, both guiding here locally, as well as tournament fishing for ESPN all over the country. Um, and came, you know, throughout, throughout my life here, I was impacted by water quality issues. Uh, specifically when we would get these massive discharges from Lake Okeechobee in the wet season on top of our local basin runoff. And I guess throughout my life, it was it was one of these things that we looked at as something you had to deal with. It was this problem that was much bigger than myself or that I felt could, you know, an individual could, could change or impact. Even though it like significantly impacted my life growing up, um, it significantly impacted the areas I fished and surfed, scuba dived. Um, and then as a fishing guide, it, it directly impacted my business and my career. For you know, the first 16 years of, of that career, I, I just kind of had the mentality of, of it's something we deal with. And so when we would have these discharges, we'd, I'd run farther away. I'd burn more fuel. I'd go to other areas that were not being impacted, that were productive. And it wasn't until 2016 when we had um, these large volume discharges happening early in the year in our tourism season, um, in January, end of January, coming into February, that it was kind of a wake-up call that, you know, our economy here in, in Florida is tourism-based. And that, that tourism dollars, those tourism dollars that come in, in, you know, a four or five month season are what sustain a lot of businesses through the slow time of year. And so um getting these discharges, what what happened was our clients were canceling, were going home. Um hotels were were going vacant because we had dead fish washing up on the beaches. It was few we see it all the time. It's fueling not, not red a pretty tide. sight Exactly. And so um that was kind of a wake up call to us that the path we were on was not sustainable and something needed to change. And we really started looking for what, what was a way that an individual like myself could maybe help seek some sort of a solution to this problem. So you just
1: decided to do something about it.
2: We, we decided, we first decided to try to see where we could plug it and use our voice. And, and we, we couldn't find it. You know, we didn't, we didn't see an outlet that, So the
1: politicians were ignoring you? Nothing was happening?
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, what we figured out, what we found out in the process, of one, we started talking to other stakeholders, other fishing guides, people in the hospitality industry, in the marine industry, the real estate industry. And interestingly enough, basically everybody we talked to felt the same way we did. There's this problem. It affects their business. It affects their way of life. But they haven't been involved in seeking change because they didn't see a pathway for change and so we we kind of as this was happening we realized that there was actually a plan to fix this this wasn't a problem that we had just identified this was something that they recognized in the 80s um and that throughout the 90s there was work to figure out a plan to fix it in in the year 2000 a plan was actually voted into law and it's it's Everglades Restoration. It's the comprehensive Everglades Restoration plan. It was a bipartisan effort voted into law. It's a, a partnership between the state and federal government. Um, and it's actually the largest ecosystem restoration project ever undertaken in the history of the world. And it's here in South Florida. And so we had this, this plan now that would not only reduce the discharges to the West Coast where I live, um, that would also reduce those damaging discharges to the East Coast. And it would send water back south to the Everglades where it historically went before man altered the, the water flow in Florida here. And so we had this plan, uh, Governor Jeb Bush and President Clinton at the time signed it into law together and everybody popped champagne models and thought, okay, great, this problem's gonna be fixed. It's uh, It was the year 2000. It was thought to take uh, 30 years to complete 68 infrastructure projects that would reconnect the flow of water back to the Everglades and, and reduce those discharges that, that crippled our economy here. Um, and so we were first very happy to hear that there is a plan, right? This isn't a situation where it's like, we have to figure out how to fix it. It's a situation that we know how to fix it. There's science that says this is the problem. This is the solution. There's engineering that says, here's the 68 projects that can get us there.
1: So this just sat.
2: No, that and happened and that. that's what happened and in 2016. We thought, okay, we're over halfway point yeah. on this. And we found out that at that point, not a single of those 68 projects was completed.
0: Had they been started?
2: There was some that had been started um, and, and stagnated. And, and basically what it boiled down to was a lack of political will, that resulted in a lack of consistent funding for these massive projects. And so you had had funding that would one, go to ancillary projects that weren't politically challenging um, and would get spread around. And so it just, there there was never enough money. There's no leadership on there for me. Exactly. And really what it boiled down to was the stakeholders were the missing link. It's, you had the science, you had the engineering, you had it into law, but because the public Everybody, and not just fishermen, but but everybody in, in our community that is impacted by water quality, which is basically everyone, um, there was no public pressure to well, say we need investment sure. in this. This is the most important thing to our economy.
1: It, look, it's a big problem. A lot of people still today. I mean, the last twenty years politically it has been a mess. You know, we've. I think we've. You know, it might be fair to say that maybe we've all lost our collective minds, right? Sure. And the polarization, but. The, the problem is that I think a lot of people on every front in the country are like, it doesn't matter, you know, the politicians will do what they want to do. It's hopeless.
2: They lose, Whatever. They lose hope, right. yeah. Right,
1: so now, not only do you take a look at your, you know, organization that you put together, but you actually made a difference. I mean, you could be a, sort of an inspiration for so many things. You know, everybody says, what can we do? So you got together with business and community leaders and the politicians and the people that are just out there, the people you put this organization to and uh from 2016 you started really driving the point home and um i think people do have a bigger and better voice these days there's people that could just do like what we're doing get a camera out there start putting out start reaching millions of people with the message uh and then you guys just said look we're gonna we're gonna make a difference and so how did it start
2: so you know, we went through like those several months in the beginning of 2016 where it's like, we don't know what we can do, but we know that inaction is, is not an option. And so as we started talking to people and, and getting, getting people's temperature on things, one of the first things we did was we, we, it was, you know, it's the day of social media. It was something that didn't exist when I had become a fishing guide. And So we made a Facebook page and we came up with the name Captains for Clean Water just because we're fishing guides, charter captains that started it. Um, And we put out a post. We called our friends at Bass Pro Shops said, hey, can we use your conference room? We want to see if we can get some people together and see if there's something we can come up with. And put out a post on a social media page that was, you know, a week old, said we're Captains for Clean Water. We're hosting a round table, a discussion about water quality issues that are happening, these discharges. And we were like, maybe a couple dozen fishing guides or somebody will show up. And what happened was we showed up and there was over 300 people. Oh line, my gosh. Line out the door, every media outlet. There was commercial fishermen, recreational fishermen, realtors, bartenders, hotel managers, lawyers. I mean, you name it, property owners.
0: And this is in Fort Myers, like yeah, the best for Golf yeah. Gulf Coast? Yeah. Wow. And
2: so we realized that there was a lot of people that cared about this issue but they're all individuals. And, and we realized the reason we weren't involved wasn't because we didn't care. It was because we didn't have a mechanism. And so that's when we saw that, you know, we didn't set out to create a movement, but once we saw there was a movement that was creating, we realized that there was a need to organize all those individual voices, put our arms around them, give them a collective voice and, and steer them to, to a focus on this big issue. And so that's when we- Wow. That's when we so do.
1: it's not just big lobbyists that could do it. We the people could do it. And that's, that's our right. only,
2: that's really our only uh, path forward to fix this.
1: Right, it's with the people. So like now what you did, right? You've got this, this reservoir project. Part of the problem is you got all the pollution that comes down from the northern part of the state, Orlando, hits Lake Okeechobee. Lake Okeechobee's been- Artificially sides have been cut Artificially, off. you know, uh, to, to be deeper. Uh, not getting the words today, but, uh, and as a result, you kill out the plant life at the bottom. So there's no filter and then you've got all this junk in there. And then basically you're not letting it flow through the Everglades anymore. It's, uh, flowing out either through, uh, you know, either at Fort Myers St. or on the, or in the, or St. the or St. Lucie river. And it's for anybody who's been here and there's a lot of people and plenty of people, it's, it's a horrible sight to see when they start dumping out that water. And a couple of things to come to mind to me. All right, it's 2023. We can do such incredible things. Why can't we solve a Warner, you know, sure. problem? And it's great that you guys went out and did something. And you really are starting to, to push the politicians on enacting some of these projects. And some of the big ones is that, you know, reservoir out there. People don't know what that is. Yeah, and let me just explain a little bit more. Once this discharge goes out, you got dead fish. The water goes from nice and clean to brown and whatever. It's a disaster on all things natural.
0: Well, I think and I'm back of that problem. For, I mean, at least for even me. I mean, I've lived here my whole life and I've experienced it along with you, right? I mean, that time of year comes around. The red tide starts to hit. Everybody starts coughing. Your eyes start itching. You don't want to be near the water. You don't go to the beach. You're not watching the sunset. What's interesting for me is that I never really took into account that the other individuals that are not participating in charters and directly on the water, the hotels, the hospitality, that's really interesting for me because it really affects everybody. Oh,
2: yeah. Property values, real estate sales, hospitality industry, and the ripple effect throughout the entire economy from that. But, you know, so one... So we can fix these problems.
1: Right. So you did this reservoir. You pushed this thing. Tell us about that. Like, yeah, what is so, that project? So the, and, and maybe you can give some, some of the viewers some insight into why this project and what does it do? And absolutely. is it really a,
0: an, an impact? Yeah. Because right, I, I think there's different. When we first started talking, I was like, well, is there a solution? Is there something in motion? Has somebody already approved? Right. So it's like, where exactly are you? So, you?
2: Sure. So. Sir, the comprehensive Everglades restoration plan is basically reconnecting a system that, um, that was fragmented and compartmentalized 100 years ago. And 100 years ago, we thought that the idea was you know, you conquer the land, you turn worthless swamp land into something productive. No different here in Florida. And so there was a series of efforts, both private and um, ultimately by the government got involved to drain the Everglades. And and in and, 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 and doing so, what they did was they dug a series of canals through the central Everglades, which is basically south of Lake Okeechobee, out to the east coast to bleed the water out of the river of grass. And they connected Lake Okeechobee to the St. Lucie River and the uh, Clusahatchee River as kind of relief valves. So the water that naturally would fall in the Kissimmee River Basin right. south of Orlando would flow down through the Kissimmee River, into Lake Okeechobee, would overflow Lake Okeechobee's southern bank and would feed the river of grass and would ultimately flow all the way down into what is today Everglades National Park and Florida Bay, where that water would balance salinities and keep that estuary in balance. So when they cut off the flow of water effectively at Lake Okeechobee, what it started doing was the water that was needed in the Everglades in the wet season was sent to the east coast and the west coast. It, even if it was pure clean water, the volume of fresh water was turning a saltwater fishery fresh. That you turn, you, you have a saltwater aquarium, you put fresh water in it for two months, everything dies. So that's, that, that was the long-term impact of what was killing the seagrass flats and the oyster bars that as a fisherman I depended on was mm-hmm. just the salinity drop. The counter to that was the Everglades was going dry. The Biscayne Aquifer, which is the drinking water aquifer for Miami-Dade, so 10 million Floridians, was going dry. They started pulling salt water out of their taps in Miami. and Florida Bay, was getting too salty because it didn't receive the water it needed. And so the same thing that happened here where the seagrass died and the oysters died was happening in Florida Bay for the opposite reason. It was getting three times saltier than the Gulf. So you had... 2015, the year before we started the organization, you had 50,000 acres of seagrass died in Florida Bay. Wow. So Everglades Restoration, the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan is a plan to reconnect that. It doesn't put anybody out of business. It doesn't flood communities. It simply reconnects that system and restores the timing and mimics the timing and delivery of that water that Mother Nature had intended. And so it removes some of the barriers to flow uh, US 41 Tamiami Trail. There's bridges now so water can flow. I noticed under. that
1: uh, there's a big project going on right by um, Homestead, I guess. Yes. Once
2: you hit 41, you're yep. starting to raise that. So they've raised up miles of that road right. that was acting as a dam. And that that is at the area called Shark River Slough. And now, so, are you
1: guys behind that? Yeah, yes, so.
2: absolutely. Yep. Awesome. That's one of the 68 projects. And so um, so so you know what's else.
1: interesting on that front though? And I don't think that, you know, everybody's, uh, we're either yes or no today. And I love construction prog- projects. I like to see things built out of nothing. It's just, it's, uh, and uh, but I don't want to be at the expense of the environment. But, what's, but if you do it right, you can have your cake and eat it too. There's no reason why we can't do that. So I didn't know you guys were behind that. Yeah. That's cool. I You could see how the water is, is going to flow right through. Yeah, and it, it is, is flowing and today. It is, and,
2: and, it is, and prior to that, you know, that bridge or that road that was done with good intentions was acting as a dam. So everything north of it, the water would stack up and get too deep. Everything south of it was, was yeah. too dry. And so...
1: So does that, the other thing too, we were talking to the uh, Seakeepers International a few weeks ago, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, everybody makes a difference, even small things, right? And one of the things you were talking about was the the uh, coral reefs being affected or whatever. Uh, does that salinity also harm? The
2: so reef? I mean, everything in the ecosystem is a chain sure. chain event. You know, um, so as things degrade in one area, it has a an impact on the rest. So I don't know if you know salinity. I think where the coral reefs are is is a is a high salinity environment, and it's outside of that envelope. Understood. But if you have areas that collapse there, it can, it can affect water the quality. Domino effect. If you look at recently the super high water temperatures that they're talking about down in the Keys, the hottest areas they were talking about were in those bays that lost all the seagrass. Right. So- I
0: wonder if that, yeah, that domino mean, effect of does
2: it's, the seagrass so I, I was down
1: in Marathon a few weeks, so I was deliberately, you know, I question everything. Everything that the news says, I question, not just to be a contrarian, but I, yeah, you can't you get should. anything good. Um, and I had the temperature sensors all around Marathon, all the way down on the Gulf, and nothing ever went over ninety degrees yeah.
2: up there. So, yeah. it was in, it was in the it was in the in the bay in there in Florida Bay that were those like around grass,
1: It makes a sure you know
2: it makes a big difference. Yeah. So so to get to your point about Everglades restoration and this reservoir. Yes. So of the sixty eight projects. There's one major project that's kind of the heart of Everglades restoration. It's the project that carries the greatest ROI of any of the projects on its own. It's the Everglades Agricultural Area Reservoir. And so what it is, is it's a 16,500 acre reservoir, deep water reservoir with a with a portion of it that is a filter marsh, a man-made wetland that will clean the water. It takes takes the water in, uses aquatic plants to take up the nitrogen and phosphorus. So this is a
1: natural reservoir. Are we talking about a structure? Structure.
2: So it's a 30-foot high embankment wall. Okay. Um, deep water reservoir. And it's, it's that part of the project's being built by the Army Corps of Engineers. And this is happening now. It's under construction, yes. And so the 6,500-acre wetland is the man-made filter marsh that cleans the water. And so what that reservoir will do is it will take water in from Lake Okeechobee, which is polluted. Even if we have clean water flowing into the lake, there's so much pollution, legacy nutrients in the lake, that if we start putting clean water in it today, it'd be a hundred years before that lake was clean. Wow. So... can we hurt to start. No, we have to start. And, and there's, there's rules in place, uh, best management practices that need to be enforced. Uh, we haven't met a total daily maximum load on phosphorus into the lake in, in decades. And so, um, that needs to happen. But even if, even when that happens, the only way to clean the water coming out of the lake is—sorry,
0: no, I think that's the office phone. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah, keep going, sir. So the yeah, the the only way to clean the water coming out of the lake is is what pushing it south. We can't clean it through. The Caloosahatchee River, when it's coming down the river at, you know, 12,000 cubic feet a second. Um, but, so that's where this reservoir comes in. It takes that polluted water, stores it, cleans it, and then delivers it to the Everglades in the dry season when it's needed in the dry season. So, returns the balance. So, so you got this
1: area, that it's a man-made structure, and now it pours then into this...
2: Into what's it, the what is... The water, land, the water conservation will. areas, which, okay. is, which is this the How it naturally
0: flowed originally. It's, yes, it's right. the
2: river of grass. So that is what we're doing. And does this restore that
1: key zone to get the water back down there? Or is this just a
2: small component? This is one of the 68 projects. Okay. But so south of that EAA reservoir is, and it sits at the bottom of the Everglades Agricultural Area, which is about 500,000 500, acres of sugarcane. Okay, And so south of that is where you have the water conservation areas, which is what remains of the natural sawgrass, river of mm-hmm. grass. Um, through that river of grass, there's those canals, there's levees and weirs. So the other components of Everglades Restoration are to backfill some of those canals, take down some of those levees so that that sheet flow can be restored and ultimately go under those bridges at Tamiami Trail, down Shark River Slough and out into the Everglades.
0: So but I have a couple ahead. questions. So I'm going to back up. When I say like the pollution and the legacy nutrients, like where is this pollution coming from? What does legacy nutrients mean? If you so can it break came that down. from
2: decades of back pumping from those sugar fields okay. into the lake. So they would fertilize those fields. It would rain. The fields would flood. That area historically was a couple feet deep. It was the, the headwaters to the river of grass. So where the rest of the system would have two or three feet of water, they'd have to drain that so the crops wouldn't rot. And so they back that into Lake Okeechobee. With that came all the, you know, synthetic fertilizers that they were using. It also comes from the northern part of the watershed, which is a mixture of agriculture and residential um, impact there. The land use is over 75% agriculture. So the primary phosphorus source there is, is still... Um, synthetic phosphorus for fertilizer. And that could be even past practices. We're talking about things that could be on the landscape from 50 years decades ago. ago. Yeah. And it's, it's very hard to tell the point source. You know, it's coming from this watershed, but you can't, it's hard to say, like, it's this exact farm that's doing it or its exact community that's doing it. Um, but we know that it's that we're not meeting the total loads. And in, in Lake Okeechobee, the primary um, impact there that we see that fuels these blue green algae blooms cyanobacteria blooms is phosphorus and so this the idea here is you take that water um, out of the lake that's that's polluted put it into this reservoir clean it send it south in doing so you have more capacity for water managers on when to send water where really it's less water that we're sending to the coast so you're talking about a you know a a 50 to 60% reduction in the damaging discharges to our coast. That's a, that's a huge massive, Yeah. Yeah. There's no other single thing you can do that provides 50 plus percent benefit. Um, You're talking about, you know, three or four times more water flowing South than what is, Currently flowing. So in sow. those
1: fields now, so n- nature will just from that zone take care of those phosphorus. I mean, so it's be cleaned
2: to... before you send it into the river of grass. Oh, and so that's what that, it that's what it. that well, that wetland, that filter marsh, they put plants in there that specifically Eat take that. up a ton of nutrients. So, so food, when
0: you said clean,
2: they, saying... they, they use it as food. So okay. the, the plants do. So you, you'd be
1: amazed. Like people would be when um, I live on a lake and uh, there was tons of this grass. In the water, and they, it was just becoming a hassle for just being out on the water. They sent in some carp to eat it all. The the, the lake went from like crystal clear to, to like you can't see anything. Yeah. It just and interesting as it now the carp have died out because they were sterile, and the grass starts to grow back. The water is getting significantly. Yeah, I mean there are there are so many. The those nature are, does take care of a lot of stuff. sure.
2: If you if you give it the ability to recover, it will and can recover, um, and it's it's really important to see that the, sorry, it's, it's, it's important to see that the, the systems, if, if they're given the ability to recover, they can. But like our ecosystem here, we we don't get those massive discharges every single year. We get them every two years or three years. You know, we had a, a big one in 13. We had a big one in 2016. We had the really, really big one in 2018. But what happens is it's kind of like a stair step. The damage that happened in 13 degraded the ecosystem and it kind of, it went on this decline. And then it start, slowly starts to recover. And it takes but then 16, hit. it goes down farther. And then it slowly starts to recover and recovery may take 10 years. So if every three years you're getting hit, you're just on this downward trajectory.
1: So- I mm-hmm. this is a great thing. And again, I just go back. It's people getting together, making a difference. You can. It's not just, uh, you well, know, so I'll
0: I'm, right. I'm back up again, because I mean, Chris, for what you've done. So I'm like, okay, you had 300 people show up at Bass Pro, like you, you your eyes must have just popped out of your head. I'm like, well, we really have something here that we, we have, there's voices that need to be heard. You've spent a lot of time going up to Tallahassee. Like, so we're sitting here talking. It's obvious, right? Like, there's a problem. Is there a solution? Oh, there is a solution. Somebody actually signed off on it. They put financial support behind it. Then what? Right. So there is a solution. So why the trip to Tallahassee? So what
2: happened was for the first half of Everglades Restoration, there was not enough funding going to those projects. From Washington, D.C., it's a 50-50 cost share. So there was not enough money coming from Washington to Everglades Restoration to fund the Army Corps of Engineers to build these projects. There was not enough money coming from the state of Florida to the South Florida Water Management District to fund the construction of these projects. And so progress was not happening at the timeline that was intended in CERC. And so we just saw that finish date of 2030 continue to back up, back up, back up. And the reason for that was, the real reason was, like I said, was a lack of political will. And it it was kind of two things. It was, um, you know, policymakers whether they're a policymaker sitting in Washington or a policymaker sitting in Tallahassee, they're looking at things in a briefing binder in, you know, in, in numbers And there. And you look at DC that the funding for Everglades Restoration comes from the Water Resources Development Act. That's a, a bucket of money that goes to every water infrastructure project in the entire country. So there's 49 other states saying we need this dam or we need this dam removed or we need this bridge or any other thing. So um, if there's not enough public pressure saying this affects us, and it affects our economy, a policymaker's making economic decisions with the information they have. And so I think that's one of the mistakes. That, that was one of the holes um, in that void for so long was you had environmentalists that said this is impacting the seagrass. The this data was there. Killing sea turtles. Yeah. This is killing manatees. But if you're a policymaker in DC looking at spending budget dollars, the case that needs to be made is this is affecting our economy. Tourism is a 120 plus billion dollar a year industry in Florida. This is the single most thing that has an impact on our tourism industry that we have control over. We can't control hurricanes that decimate our communities, but we can control water quality and water management that decimates our communities. And so making that case and tying this into this these water quality issues have billions of dollars of economic impact every time they happen. And so investing billions of dollars to fixing them is an investment in our economy. It's an investment in the marine industry, the real estate industry, the hospitality industry, and everything else that comes with it. Well, the, the bigger picture, though, is that
1: hmm, so much attention is paid to carbon output, but every single second, we're just continually polluting the waterways. And there's really not enough... Uh, emphasis on that. And, and that I think it's not, I don't think it's just a Florida issue. I no, think it, it's it's,
2: a, a, it's actually not even a, you know, it's a global, it's issue. A global issue. It's a global issue. Unfortunately, it is. And, you know, you look at carbon sequestration. Look, Everglades restoration, no matter which way you look at, it, it makes sense. The investment in it makes sense. The Everglades is the largest carbon sink in North America. If it's hydrated. If it dries out and, and begins to dry out and the peat moss, be, it becomes an emitter of carbon. So, and so... Right, no. you, you wow. look at an acre of seagrass. Remember when the Amazon rainforest was on fire and everybody around the world was up in arms about mm-hmm. this massive carbon sink that is, that is burning. An acre of seagrass sequesters the same amount of carbon as an acre of rainforest. And we lost 50,000 acres in one summer in Florida wow. Bay. So th- no matter if you're looking at this from an environmental point of view or an economic point of view, Everglades restoration makes sense. The only reason it wasn't really happening was it just the people that were impacted, the individual stakeholders were involved and there wasn't a mechanism for their them to use their voice. The only industry that pushes to keep the system operated the way it is status quo is the sugar industry because that area south of Lake Okeechobee benefits from that archaic system.
1: Totally. So let's, so the problem when nobody goes out, the sugar guy, you know, they everybody gets demonized. And the problem that we right. start demonizing people is that then everybody starts to, you know, get their battle gear on and go to go to town. And that keeps everything a mess. Uh the sugar guys didn't say, Hey, listen, I want to pollute and destroy everything. Right. But what they but so, you know, we can find solutions to everything. This is a great it's a perfect example. You apply uh science to the, the to a problem and you could fix it. Um and uh, and you enact, you know act on it. So the argument is always uh, the sugar guys are bad, and uh, they just want everything the same. But well, I often see problems uh, solved by politicians uh, as it's all or nothing. You know, you must be shut down. You must be. I mean, I didn't know this, but uh, it, it, you know, some feedback from leaving, even the Maui fires. There used to be agriculture in that whole area. It yeah. Kept the place. Um, you know. Uh, more humid or climate. And then when they took that all out for environmental reasons, and there was legitimate, I'm not, but they, it was a one-shot deal. The whole area became like arid and dry and left itself open to these, you know, you get the hurricanes that blow by, and then you have this aftermath that really affects people and all, all living things. So why, you know, how do, how do you get the sugar guys on board? Have you teamed up with them or are they on the other side? So to
2: get on board, there's got to be a desire. And so right. first of all, the great thing about Everglades Restoration is it doesn't put the sugar industry out of business. Right. Um, the reason the sugar industry pushes to keep things the way they are is they, they like a guarantee of water supply. If Lake Okeechobee is managed as a reservoir, that means there's water in it available to that 500,000 acres then it's a guarantee of water supply for them for the uh, once in a hundred year drought. Okay, if 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 you have a reservoir, what do you want it to be? Full. Right. Well, if you're managing Lake Okeechobee to be full and artificially full during the dry season, which means it doesn't have capacity coming into the wet season, that's what results in massive discharges to the coast. That's what results in cutting off the flow to the Everglades because you're not sending that water out of the lake into the Everglades they're not they're not getting they don't want the system managed that way for their survival they they're the system is managed that way for this over and above guarantee and and what what they have seen is the sugar industry hasn't suffered a crop loss due to water supply since the early 80s so we're not talking about so we we get here every couple years so we're not talking about a, a crippling effect there and we're not even talking about an impact so the sugar industry is a unique thing here. It's a consolidated industry, it's a, it, essentially. It's it's two big companies and very easy to align on what their positions are and whatnot. They're federally subsidized, so they get federal taxpayer dollars. Do you, uh, what are the two companies? Uh, U.S. Sugar and Florida Crystals. Okay. Are the two, and then you have the Sugarcane uh, Co-op, which is smaller farms, part of the co-op. So defeated. those are the three entities. But the two big Political drivers are U.S. sugar and Florida Christians, and so th- there's a situation that you have a federally subsidized industry that gets taxpayer dollars that um, wants the system maintained how it is, because that what what they see is if you have this, if you can put 30 percent more water available into their crops in the dry season, it doesn't mean a 30 percent yield increase in sugar production, it might mean a 5% yield. But the way that the subsidy program works is whatever the market doesn't demand, the government pays for. So, so the
1: more you grow, the, the more, more you get grow, to throw you away. You can sell
2: it whether whether it's going to the, re- the grocery store or not. And it, and it was intended during the Great Depression to not have farmers go out of business sure. um, and be dependent on foreign food supply. But this is... This is kind of an abuse of that where it's it's not about going up business now they're saying even though the market only demands 70% of our crop if we can bump our production from 100 to 110% we'll get paid for the other and then there's a sub there's a floor artificial floor put on import sugar so it artificially inflates the cost of domestic sugar so you have a you've got Colorado, a massive
1: uh, economics at work here, uh, and it's, it's corporate it's,
2: welfare that is that is that is creating artificial economy around that product so that this, is then put back into politics, and
1: and then and it's gotten so big and so out of control, right? Yes, and that's why. And that's again, it's so the the right. You know, everybody talks about we want to protect the environment, and they do nothing about it. And everybody's got their um. Look, you. I do blame. You, you can't necessarily blame no, I mean, companies look, there, because it's like, hey, if it's there, there they're businessmen and, and they're taking right? advantage right. of um, the
2: situation. Here's the thing: as long as those, as long as those subsidies are in place and and there, there's an artificial floor on the price of the product and they're guaranteed to sell the product. There's not a whole lot of desire to change things. So to come to the table, we're willing to come to the table because we get crushed every couple of years. When you're when you're having record crops every year and the, and and it's it's going to get purchased no matter what, there's there's not same desire to go. Let's work together on this. Now that being said, the the you, you mentioned earlier, it's not you know, this isn't a deal where we hire a bunch of lobbyists and and you know the only way that we've been effective in in making progress with Everglades restoration has been through the voice of the people, individual stakeholders. If you look at the sugar industry who fights, and it's very clear with water policy they, they advocate for and they push for um, to water management that they push for, their position is clear and it's obvious why. They're looking out for to make as much money as they can for their shareholders. But they're one of the largest political donors in the state of Florida, okay? So at any given time in Tallahassee, they have over 70 lobbyists working. They're one of the top two, political donors putting money into into the political system in Florida. So there's no way for us, like, I can go hire a lobbyist, two right. yeah. lobbyists. I can't go up and hand out $15 million in political contributions a cycle. Or right.
1: inside a stock, so, right, right, right.
2: So it's the only, we can't fight David versus Goliath by going dollar for dollar, lobbyist for lobbyist. The way we do it is by creating public awareness. And, so it's and interesting and you say that, you know, you our f- f-
1: so good business... Um, you know, uh, lesson is, you know, finding a, finding another way. You If you look at the David guy, you're looking at this giant machine that you cannot take on. Um, the way that but, they're doing right, it. Right, so you maneuvered around it. So the question is, all right, if you did that, how do you bypass them? How do you just let them stay with their lobbyists, do their garbage, but I'm thinking like, all right, so now you've got this water coming in, you've got some of this flow going through, how do you just take the pool? Is this technology, you know, let's maybe the average person is thinking, I have a pool that looks like hell. It's swampy. I, I flick on my full uh, filter. filter. Yeah. Uh, you use what, ionized water. You don't even have to use chlorine or whatever. And then a couple of days later, it's clear. How do you, you can't do, you know, obviously with the lake, but what can you put, like, in other words, how do you eliminate the roadblock to a cleaner environment by just bypassing all of their nonsense. Is there technology in place that you
2: could do that? So for one, you know, the sugar industry today is not this massive polluter to the water that they were. And they absolutely were the biggest polluter, you know, 50 years ago. But what happened was that water that would not get back pumped into the lake that would flow south into the Everglades was polluted with phosphorus. And one of the byproducts of the binding agent with the sulfur that binds the phosphorus is methylmercury. And so what was happening was you were getting phosphorus pollution and mercury pollution in the Everglades. And there's still today, um, if you go down along where where the uh, uh, Miccosukee live, there are signs and say, you know, if you depend on this food for substance, don't eat too many of these animals because wow. they're high mercury content. So what happened was A federal judge issued a consent decree that said you cannot send polluted water into a national park. So in 1947, I think it was, maybe 43 or 47, Everglades National Park was formed. You cannot send polluted water into a national park. And so in order to drain those fields, judge ordered a consent decree. They came up with a solution, which was a partnership between the government and the sugar industry, to build more of those man-made filter marshes um, where the state purchased land from sugar. They didn't give it up. They purchased it with tax dollars. Purchased land from sugar to create filter marshes, stormwater treatment areas is what they're called. And do you cut this and edit it so he can... Okay. <laughs> so, um, so, so the state went in, purchased... Thousands of acres of sugar land at fair market value. And instead of, you know, forcing the sugar industry to clean their own water, basically take a portion of their land, make filter marshes to clean their water before they send it into the public land, the state constructed these filter marshes. Um, They are paid for with a partially with a tax on sugar. But the majority of the cost is paid for through taxpayer dollars, and so we built these filter marshes, and now they're they're run and managed and maintained by the state. And so today, the water runoff that comes out of the EAA off the sugarcane fields goes into these stormwater treatment areas, is cleaned. How to long employ. has that been going on? Is that that has been going on? I don't know the exact date, so I don't want to give you the, sure. the, the a wrong date there, but um, for for, I'd say over a decade now. Okay. Okay. So now what we have is we're cleaning their runoff for them before, so we're no longer polluting the Everglades, and and that's an important thing. So like, is
1: that so? And now is that water tested? Where hey, this is it tests quadruple. when it goes.
2: Yes, it go, It tests when it goes out of those treatment facilities. Okay. Um, depending on the flow, they they bounce somewhere around. You know, twelve to eighteen parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight parts is considered clean drinking water. And so, by the time it leaves there, even at eighteen, by the time it gets to the park boundary, it's at eight. It's it's at clean water standard. So, really, the issue of the past was sugar was sugar and shoe is this big polluter of the water, and and that's a big reason why Lake Okeechobee is still polluted to this day and will be polluted for Are they
1: still pumping stuff into Lake Okeechobee? Occasionally,
2: but that's not the that's not the the norm. The norm so okay. the, the now they send it through those filter marshes. The biggest way they pollute now is just the political system to slow to slow Everglades restoration. And that's really what happened for a so long time.
1: Somebody would say so maybe you know when you're also trying to attack these problems, you know, I and mean, which you're doing a great job. Listen, what you're doing is amazing. It should be an inspiration to anybody who says, oh, I can't do something, right? right? O- off the charts, because this is a serious problem. You've made incredible progress and people can make a difference. So I'm not being critical. Cool. And oh, I'm sure. not uh, saying, but sometimes, you know, when you look at these things, it's like, how do you, um, you know, what other incentive there, if they're hooked on the drug of subsidies, Right? Or, you know, having the control where nobody can impact their business. What if you just push for flipping the subsidy? What if it's like, hey, you get this guaranteed low price and you get this floor and you could do whatever you want to do, but you have to clean so much water? You know what I'm saying? And change the incentives. Cause if they can go out and incorporate filtering systems or change what they plant on there, you know, there's plants out there that capture a bunch of this crap. If you flip, if they're that addicted, why not just say, "Hey, listen, hey, you've got this one drug, Mister Drug Addict. We've got one that's better. But if you take this drug, you're not you're not going out killing people. Right. You know, you're sitting in your living so, room in a, in a nice, comfortable high. Yeah, I don't so, mean to, to be, be. I'm not trying to be uh, a a thing towards the sugar
2: industry or anybody. No, but it's sort 100%. of like
1: you you may not be able to get them off that drug can you get them on something that's less harmful and makes a difference i'll give you an example where people can get a better idea pump out stations if you're trying to half of them are broke all the time you know, they're broken the whole bit why don't you pay motors to pull up <laughs> and pump their stuff out you wouldn't have any of this, that discharge, you know, $5. I know sometimes when they put things in certain states for cans or whatever, Maybe. a five cent thing the to recycle, recycle thing goes up. then you've got thousands of people, you know, even kids doing this stuff. So have you guys thought about any yeah. way?
2: Yeah, so, and there is there is compromise and incentives done to advance Everglades restoration. Okay. You know, their whole thing, looking at the pollution part of it's one thing, one piece. But the water conveyance and the control of the water is the really the, the big driver of why the sugar industry wants it to stay the way it is. Do they and
1: dictate so, when these things are, so, are, are poured what, out?
2: What, what they have been able to is they've been able to dictate it through campaign contributions and get, have water managers put in place through legislators that are basically managing the system for them. So that has changed, that has shifted, and there's compromise that has been made where, for example, that EAA reservoir—that's intent—is to reduce the discharges and deliver water to the Everglades. Well, one of the compromises there is some of that water will be available to sugar for irrigation.
1: Yeah, but why not make it? I mean, if you start—if you do that whole thing, that isn't it? Doesn't that just solve the
2: problem? Well, if you do what whole thing? You know, just, just
1: uh, if they haven't needed it for years, right? We um, just a lot. A certain amount that would cover like it could go historical so in the land, last 100 years you needed to plug into this system that's killing everything three times and you needed to use x amount and if we take your land and we say you have 500,000 acres the max that you would need is x so maybe in a 10 year period you're allowed to take right you what your like time one year could, could be zero and one year could be really a lot but one year out of 10 or 20 years the, the, the moving move- average doesn't
2: that just that makes so, logical sense? Right. Of course, but what you're talking about is reducing their consumptive use. What they see is the consumptive use permits that they're allocated. Is they they see this as a guarantee of water. They're they're allowed this, and it's more water than they need. Okay, which is if you're growing five hundred thousand of your sugar cane, that's what you want. You want as much as you possibly need,
1: right? It's a, guaran- it's a guarantee. You want a guarantee, and with. so right. what?
2: What you're talking about is how much water they actually need, not in a over and above guarantee. So if I'm a business
1: guy, right? And I want the reserves. I want the capital yeah. reserves there. I want to make sure, hey, like anything can happen. You can have COVID. Oh my god, like one in a hundred year drought. So if I'm allowed to have this pile of cash here, and I'm not limited to how much I could take out at any given one time. But if you said to me, this covers you for 10 years, where you have access to, I'm more inclined to go, I don't really need that cash. But if I can use whatever is in there in a crisis, I could use it. So in other words, maybe there's a tremendous amount of flow of water that comes out, but could we sacrifice a year of that flow of water if these sugar guys are having a hard time? Like, right. you, you so, follow me? So I think they're, have they've ever been, have they've ever been given that Opportunities so, that had been presented to them.
2: Yeah, and it's the the thing is about the way the water's being is it's not so. If if generally you're you're managing water on a predictive weather cycle, and so when you're saying okay, could we could we hold the water back and and keep it for sugar when they need it, which would be in a drought event, right?
1: Right. So you have having a drought, and the water is normally coming down. uh yeah, use it.
2: Okay, so when when you're having a drought and the water's coming down, that means the Lake Okeechobee would be low because you're in drought time. It means Everglades would be dry. So that's when the Everglades needs the water as well. So if all of a sudden you're saying, no, we're going to hold the water back in Lake Okeechobee for the sugar industry at the expense of a national park. So you cannot prioritize water users, a a private water user over an environmental water user like the Everglades. And that's what has happened in the past. And so Everglades restoration gives you the ability to manage for both. It gives you storage capacity that's not in the lake, in this reservoir and in the water conservation areas that you can deliver water to the Everglades.
1: So the other alternative also would be build more of these. Sure. Right. Yeah, and build so more then, But hey, well, we don't have to worry about polluting a natural so lake. We, so build 100%. Build more of them, build bigger. Why not? Than- And so my thing is right, and even for people to think about this, we're spending trillions and trillions of dollars. I just read an article the other day. Oh, we're 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 building eight or nine icebreakers for the Arctic. Like, what are you doing? Hundreds of millions millions. of dollars. Like, why can't we? These are cement. Oh no, we 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 we, yeah, they're 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 gravel.
2: Easy. No, they they can absolutely be built. So what it is is you need footprint, and this is where again. The the incentive to grow as much product, produce as much product as possible versus as much product as the market demands comes in. Because if you've got 500,000 acres, 400 something thousand acres of sugar being grown. And the market, let's just say the market demands 450,000 acres. Well, okay, you would have 50,000 acres that you could take out of production for another reservoir, right? Right. But... If the government's going to buy the sugar that comes off that fifty thousand acres, okay. So I have so, but but right here, if the government's going to buy that that excess sugar, they don't want to give up fifty thousand acres of land to build more reservoirs. But look how
1: simple it is. Give us fifty thousand acres. What do you make out of it? Uh, we make. I'm just making the number up. Ten million dollars. Maybe it's a hundred million. Whatever it is. All right hey, that's a subsidy we have to pay to make sure that the uh, the Everglades are good. Respecting business people for what they, they're doing and their investment. So if I'm sitting here and I'm going, okay, listen, I can guarantee getting that money in, that covers, that's what I'm giving up for my land. We're going to do that. I get that subsidy because I'm actually contributing to the benefit of the entire country. Uh, we got that. It's a win-win for all of us. Which I don't even have to worry about the weather. I'm getting, you know, people are against subsidies, right? But we give them away and they're insane if you look at some of them. But that's something that just makes perfect sense. I'm going to take your land. I'm going to build this thing on it. I'm going to pay you for the loss of that revenue as a subsidy and have a nice day.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right? the other the other way that it's gone about is, uh, you know, we we pay people to store water on their land. Okay. So you don't buy the land. You say, we want to pay for the use so of your land.
1: So that's your storage. Uh, again, maybe you make market value tap to the cost of the sugar, right? So
2: again, that... And and that's a slippery slope. It's 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 different in Florida than it is out west. But, but that, that happened it. in California. So Florida's waters are not privatized. In California, a very similar situation happened where you had the almond and pistachio industry that was a a, 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 a you know consolidate industry. Giant users of giant. giant, and they actually got so through political influence. They got the water management district to extend the aqueduct, which was the surface water supply down to an area so they could expand their operations. Okay. Very similar to how sugar influenced water management here was by political contributions to get people put on the board of the water management district to make decisions in their best interest. And so what happened there was the almond industry got the aqueduct expanded. Then they said, well, we can, we can produce more and provide more jobs if we get access to the aquifer and we can get some of this aquifer water. What happened was they started using so much water that the surrounding town's taps went dry. All the wells went dry. It's it's amazing. At that point, they said, instead of growing almonds and pistachios, we'll sell our water that were allocated to the municipalities for drinking water. And they when well, they pulled those, the, but they, they made it, it all they, they privatized the water. They got they got a guarantee of so much water that then the the commodity of water became more valuable than the commodity of the of product the, they um, were right. growing. And almonds,
1: like if you buy a bag of almonds, it's like one hundred and forty eight dollars.
2: <laughs> right. So, but but that's what happened there. And so there's this there's a. The most valuable thing in the long term scope here isn't necessarily sugar, it's control over the water. And, Understood. And but, so but, but I mean,
1: mean but if you do but if you do lay out an agreement right, like here's another fake thing of people. Both sides, even opposing sides sitting down to at the table and working out something that respects but people both sides can leave the table sure. with a with a with a good thing. So if you you talked about water storage you take water storage and you pay them for that and you, and you hook it to their crop value and it
2: goes up and down, whatever the case sure. is.
1: I don't see from a business standpoint so there how was, you would not even-
2: We got to that point. Mm-hmm. At, at one point, there was an agreement when Sugar thought that they were going to lose their subsidy. Mm-hmm. They actually, there was an agreement to, to buy out their land um, and it was kind of a phased agreement. First, it was, you need, I forget what it was, 60,000 acres to build this reservoir. So there's a purchase agreement we'll sell you 60,000 acres of this land they were afraid that if they lose the subsidy their crop no longer makes money because you can buy you know imported sugar for cheaper cheaper labor cheaper production and so um you had there was a time frame where you had you know 5 years to buy this 60,000 acres then after that you had to buy all of their property and then at the expiration you had to buy all their assets, their vehicles, their equipment, their refineries, everything. And so basically what that was, was, okay, if we lose the subsidy, we're out. we now get a bailout here. We got, the state's going to buy all of our assets. As that timeframe went on, you know, it was, I think, a 15-year and purchase. Was, it, and didn't
1: it re- just recently expired?
2: Well, it, it did. Yeah. And so they ran out the clock on that because then they didn't lose the subsidy. They just cranked up the And so they of- just knew that, okay, if we delay this, we want to delay it all the way to the end before it's a full bailout. And then if we don't lose the subsidy, you just run the clock out. Right. It, the, the Basically, the, the government doesn't execute the purchase. Right. So And so there's been these things, that, and they're... They're crafty, but the thing is, is we can fix these problems without having to buy out the sugar industry. Right, just maneuver around it. Everglades restoration is in place to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: it the, and, and what we have seen now is
1: the well, listen, past six
2: years, been, sure. the, the past six years, we've seen record progress on Everglades restoration. We've seen record funding, both out of the state and the federal government, every single year. We've seen now where the most impactful projects are under construction. And we've seen it in a bipartisan support. Now, when we started this organization, there was zero of those projects done. Today, over 55 of those projects are either under construction, hit a major milestone in their construction, or been completed. So, majorly more on track. And now what we have is, we, we have proof that there is support and that this can be done without hurting the sugar industry and can still restore the Everglades. and still here. It. And, and it's a bipartisan effort. It's bipartisan support. We sent a letter to Congress last session asking them to fully fund what the Army Corps needed for construction that year. And that letter, the entire Florida delegation signed. So you had Matt Gates and Debbie Washerman Schultz, two on the people same who not, right. on the same page act so this is a nonpartisan issue and it has bipartisan support. The key to continuing that support is more of the public being involved using their voice saying water quality issues are the biggest thing that affects our economy and our way of life that we have control over. We can't stop the hurricanes, but we can stop these discharges. To our Listen, best.
1: Chris, I can't tell you how, like, I don't think people actually even know, like, how amazing that is when you really put it together. You, 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 the David versus Goliath that yeah. is just amazing. The fact that uh, we do see it. I mean, there's been less discharge here anyway because there's been a uh, focus in on it. But the real issue is that if you get these projects done, it's going to make a, a giant advance, um, for the environment. And here's the other thing, you know, even the, the thing for environmentalists and they, they, they're, everybody serves a real, a good purpose and we certainly need them, but you don't have to destroy the like industry or business. You can have your cake and eat it too. You're a perfect example of it. I think they should be teaching this in Harvard business school. And then, and what you've done, and too bad we can't get into all of the things that you do because we're limited time. We're probably here for like yeah. eight We, we can stay years here and, for a days, time. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's an inspiration to people who think that there's no hope for whatever that they're trying to do. You're making a di- difference for the environment, you know.
0: Well, they you say, gotta save say the, say the say dolphins say, and everything. Else. The best time so. to plant a tree was yesterday. The second best time is today, right? That's right. So, sure. Yeah. So what can the average person do outside of follow Captains for Clean Water and go to their website, you can support and them support in a couple different way. ways. Um, they have apparel, they have things that you purchase and represent and spread the word, but what could the average person do?
2: The, the average the person cause? can be a megaphone for the mission for Clean Water. and And that sounds so like a lot of people want something very tangible, right? Right. But the reality is... The way Captains for Clean Water is effective is we, we get people to use their voice. It's not our advocacy that drives water policy. It's the people's advocacy that drives water policy. You're not gonna use your voice unless you're knowledgeable about something and understand something and then you're confident. So we use education to educate people on the problems, the solutions like what we're doing here today. And through that education, we they, we then empower them to advocate for something that is impactful. And where can they get this information? On your website? So captainsforcleanwater.org. They can yeah. sign up for our newsletter. It doesn't cost anything. It's just get educated. Get, sign up to where we can contact you when there is a need for you to use your voice. We watch water policy. We watch bills. We watch opportunities that are good. We watch threats that are bad. And we can activate people in a moment's notice if, if you sign up for our newsletter, we don't spam you with a bunch of stuff. We just let you know, here's education, here's progress that's happening, or here's something that's really concerning. Last year, we had a really bad bill that came out, Senate Bill 2508. It was going to threaten a lot of the progress that has been made. In 55 days, we had over 50,000 people take action. We reached uh, 13 million people. And the result was that bill was vetoed and was killed. And awesome. so... The power of people's individual voices collectively is yeah. is the key. We get there. Mm-hmm. Education leads to advocacy. That advocacy leads to public pressure. The public pressure is what creates political will. And with that political will, we get clean water. The you know, awesome, keepers sir. said the
0: same thing. They said awareness first and then action. And yep. you have done that. And if we can mimic that, I think there's some really yep. good You're not going to get
2: action but, without awareness. Yeah. So you have to get people yeah, aware. And,
1: and information and knowledge. it's great yep, that you get it out there. and We appreciate it. So listen. We appreciate you coming down. We wish we had more time. Yeah. Uh, you gave a great amount of information out to the public. Just keep doing it. We like the clean water. It makes a big difference. It. it does. And it's great to see people making a difference. In, in on a massive scale, you're making a difference.
0: So we will type Happens for Clean Water in our Voting Insider uh, video. So you'll be able to access them quickly. Chris is easily accessible. Fine. You find him on all the social media platforms that um, and I And you've known you. Chris for, for, for 500 years, Sorry, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm proud That's right. of what you're doing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy. Thank
2: you for the opportunity. And it's uh, it's great to get the word out. Really appreciate really Thank you, it. sir. I'm great to Thank day. you, guys. At the rocks. Awesome.